I'm Danny Stover, and this is Today in T.O., a podcast that takes a look at the biggest stories in the city and connects the dots on what's going on. On today's episode, what makes the TTC feel unsafe? A woman shared an experience she had on the subway, and it got city councilors showing their privilege and talking in circles. Again, instead of, you know, actually addressing the root issues. It's exhausting, but it's also making me hungry for late-stage capitalism. I mean a hamburger. But before I order one, I should check the clock. Wendy's will be testing what they call dynamic pricing, so I'm not sure I'll be able to afford to eat at lunchtime anymore. You'll hear the details as well as the pros and cons of this experiment. Plus, do you remember Licks? This place didn't sell hamburgers, but home burgers. And this Canadian chain first opened in 1980. At one point, they were operating 30 locations across Ontario, and now only one remains. That's all coming up on Today in TO. What makes you feel safe? I read something the other day that I've been moving around inside of my brain, and it was a comment about cycling in Copenhagen. And it said something to the effect of cycling in Copenhagen is safe and it feels safe. And those are two very different but equally important things. For example, suspension bridges. I know they're safe to drive on. Take the Ambassador Bridge. It gets about 10,000 vehicles crossing it every single day. It's safe. I know it's safe. But driving over it, I'm clutching my steering wheel tighter than a camel's butt in a sandstorm because to me, I don't know, it just feels unsafe. And I think we've lost the plot with the TTC in Toronto because, I don't know, to me, it feels safe, but I know it doesn't feel safe to everyone. And there's a video going around. It's a woman who just had an awful experience on the TTC, and it's a bit of a PSA. If you are a girl in Toronto riding public transit with your headphones in, go ahead and take them out right now, because let me tell you what the f*** just happened to me. I rode it four stops. I'm getting off at Dundas Station. I go to the doors. I'm about to get off, like, the subway and then i feel like this guy like walk past behind me and he's like mumbling under his breath right whatever he walks past me behind me and then two guys like move out of the way two like big six foot guys move out of the way so i'm like oh like okay like clearly i need to pay attention to something here and then tell me why as i'm about to get off literally standing there right in front of the doors i lock in and what do i hear right behind me like the breath on my ear i hear i think i found someone i can Okay, so she says quietly under her breath, murder. She heard the guy whisper, I think I found someone I can murder. And she hightailed it out of there. She put her headphones back in at Dundas Square to record this video warning. And look, I know I'm being a bit of a brat, but I am not for one second questioning the validity of this woman's experience. I believe her 100%. What I don't believe is all the bull that we're being fed about, quote, fixing this issue. Here's City Councilor Brad Bradford. To be honest, it, it's really disturbing. My daughters are, are a lot younger, three-year-olds and, and eight months, and I'm not taking them on the TTC because 
You know, you, there, too often you're having incidents like that of things that make folks feel really uncomfortable and they don't feel safe riding transit. Not everyone has the option to not take transit. And this isn't a new thing. It's almost as though this happens every year around this time. Why can't it be safe and feel safe? The need is desperate for better supports and safety and security on the TTC. And uh, this is what I hear from folks all the time. They tell me they are not coming back because of a lack of service. They are not coming back because they don't feel safe. So if ridership is our number one, if that's important for us, then addressing safety has to be the top priority. I really think we need to dig deeper here and figure out why it feels unsafe. And we really don't need to be digging that deep. So let's check in with City Councilor Jamal Myers. We're not oblivious to what's happening in the news. We're not oblivious to, you know, what we see on the stations. I take TTC almost every day. Uh, I see the same problems that my colleague, uh, Councilor Bradford, identified in terms of the number of people using the TTC as a shelter of last resort. And, you know, the, the incidents that we're dealing with on the TTC are just a larger reflection of what's happening in our city. If it is being used as a shelter of last resort, then this isn't just a ridership or safety issue. It's a housing and shelter issue. And I feel like a broken record. But we need to be addressing the root causes here. Or we're going to keep going in circles. We're currently in the process of hiring about 50 additional special constables. And we have seen, you know, as ridership has increased, we've seen about 47% fewer offenses against staff since this time last year. And about 24% fewer uh, decreases against customers since uh, January 2023. So the trend line is heading in the positive direction. So he did share some positive stats. That's good. And I feel like I should add, I'm not conflating homelessness with violence here. And I would love to know what a security or even a police officer in the case of this woman would have done. Stopped the guy from whispering a threat? How? So I will add this. It's anecdotal. But a friend of mine was telling me the other day that she witnessed something kind of traumatic while riding the subway in Toronto. She saw a fight between two older men and somebody pressed the emergency button. So security guards came. And my friend was livid telling me this because they did nothing. They just sort of watched this happen. They didn't intervene. And she was floored by this detail. And of course, I wasn't there, so I can't speak to how unsafe she must have felt in the moment and how frustrating it was to call for help only for them to do the same thing that everyone else was doing, looking on in horror. But in the back of my mind, I thought, that's probably exactly what they're told to do. Their job isn't necessarily to break up a fight between two meatheads on the subway. Their job is to make sure everyone feels safe. I don't think this is an easy or fun job at all. But they come in after the fact. I'm not quite sure how more security or police down there is going to stop threatening whispers. But I do know that if more people had places to go in the city to stay warm... They wouldn't need to seek temporary shelter on the subway system. On the way, do you remember when the price of a hamburger was the same regardless of what time you ordered it? And you might be thinking, wait, what? It's like that now. You order a hamburger at noon, you're paying the same price as you would at midnight. But for how much longer? We could be encroaching on a new way of doing things. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. It does make me hungry. 
but I don't know if I can afford to eat at lunchtime anymore. familiar are you with surge pricing? I'm sure you've experienced something like this before. Let's say you need a ride to the airport. So you open your trusty Uber app and it says you can expect to pay 50 bucks. And maybe that feels a little high to you and you've got some time. So you check back in 15 minutes and that same ride is now showing a cost of only $25. 15 minutes, 50% off, I'll take it. And I know this isn't a deal per se, but if you didn't have the time to wait, you would have been paying more because demand was high and those are the breaks. That's surge pricing in a nutshell. And it's not just for ride sharing anymore. Fast food chain Wendy's just announced that it will start what they call dynamic pricing as early as next year. It'll first roll out in the United States with the CEO, Kirk Tanner, stating that the company plans to invest millions on digital menu board technology. And that will allow them to test more enhanced features like this dynamic pricing and day part offerings, along with AI-enabled menu changes and suggestive selling. But I just want to dip my fries in my Frosty. What's a good time for me to do that? It feels weird having to pay for food like this. But as you'll hear, it's less about the price or the cost and more about demand. Currently, there are about 7,000 Wendy's location worldwide, with 16 in Toronto. And while this is being positioned as a pilot or experiment, depending on how it goes, this could be the new way of doing things in the fast food industry. David Soberman is the Canadian National Chair of Strategic Marketing at the Rotman School of Business at the University of Toronto. One of the things we try to encourage businesses to do is to innovate and to learn. And so I think on the pro side, um, this is uh, an interesting innovation because we've not seen it in fast food before. And uh, beyond that, they're positioning positioning it as an experiment. And anytime you run an experiment, you hope to learn to see what works and to see what doesn't work. So that that's on the positive side. What I would also um, mention is there's a couple of concerns. One is when you are changing your prices, the willingness of your customers to accept those changes depends on how they see them. If the changes are positioned as an increase when demand is high, um, you're probably going to get a negative reaction. If the changes are positioned as a reduction or a saving when demand is low, you may in fact have a lot of people that are interested. And so a lot of this depends on what the anchor point is. Are they going to have a regular price above which the product never goes and then discount it at periods of low demand? That might be a lot more attractive. Right. So if you want a Baconator at the same time everybody else wants a Baconator, you might be paying more. But also, this could work in your favor. I doubt it, but maybe this isn't so much about the price of a burger because I'd gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. The thing about dynamic pricing is it has very little to do with cost. It has to do with demand. And so there's always going to be a bit of a reaction against that. Sometimes you might be making... $8 on a Baconator, and in other times you might be making $4. And some people find that to be 
unreasonable. But as I've said before, in certain um, domains, we've become accustomed to that in airline pricing and in taxi pricing. So um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And I guess one of the things is, is that they are positioning it as an experiment. So that gives them a chance to learn. You know, all of this has me feeling hungry, not for a hamburger, but for a home burger. Do you remember Licks? This Canadian chain first opened in 1980 and at its height was operating 30 locations across Ontario. Now, only one remains. And with more on that, here is producer Glenn Bergonier. And I think if you ask him nicely, he might do this feature in song. Like they do, or did, at Licks. Well, thanks for that setup, Danny. I'm almost positive that nobody wants or needs me to sing this feature. But I take very little prodding to follow the peer pressure, so I'll give it a try. Let's see what happens. <clears throat> In the early 80s, Canada needed food. But the only thing we hunted for was a burger that tasted good. And I'm not doing it anymore. That's the end of that experiment. I'm just going to say the rest in prose from now on, and you're going to have to deal with it. So back in the 1980s, Ontario native Denise Meehan decided to open up the very first Licks Home Burger on Queen Street East, just east of Woodbine. She decided to call it Licks Home Burger because, well, they didn't just make the fast food burgers which were becoming so popular in the country, but instead focused on a really delicious and great quality home-style burger, and so, home burgers. It was a very small location to start with only her and one part-time employee running things. And as you can guess, that didn't last very long as word of these home burgers began to quickly spread throughout the city, and Meehan decided, within a couple of years, that she needed to expand. And so she opened her second location in Scarborough in 1984, officially beginning the franchising of her locations. Now Lick's Home Burgers quickly developed into a household name within Ontario and only grew in popularity, especially with a very captivating, fun-loving, and literally song-singing staff who would make spoofy renditions of pop songs to utilize Lick's food and condiments. For example, like if they sang, We want, we want hot dogs. Now, I know I promised I wouldn't sing anymore, but that was clearly a lie. So after almost 30 years of only growing success and opening up more and more locations, the restaurant chain started to experience financial difficulties as certain locations began to struggle and some began to even close after the 2008 financial crisis and the influx of burger joints popping up all throughout the city, increasing competition. And then the final bell began to toll in 2012 as a large wave of the 30-plus franchises began to close down. And by 2017, after struggling to stay afloat, only two locations remained. One in Toronto and one in Perry Sound. It all came to an end in 2021 when the Toronto location, which was at 900 Warden Avenue, ceased being a franchise and was renamed and rebranded Andy's Artisan Burgers. So now, there's only two ways to appreciate this iconic and nostalgic home burger. Either you drive yourself to Perry Sound to the last remaining location, or you look in the freezer section of your local grocery store. Because the only way Licks is still alive is either in Perry Sound, continuing to sell its home burgers and other products in the freezer section.
You know what will never have dynamic or surge pricing? Today and TO. It's free no matter what time of day or night you listen. So tell a friend, will you? This podcast is brought to you by 640 Toronto and features audio from shows across the Chorus Entertainment Network. My name's Danny Stover. Today in TO is produced by me, Glenn Bergonier, and David Spargala. Chris Dunner and Andrew Dernford are advisors to the show. Join me again next Wednesday for a brand new episode. And in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk soon. Bye.